Hello and welcome to the Party Game Show. I am your host, Andrew King, and you're listening to the sixth episode of our mini-series, Reflection, a Celeste Retrospective Podcast, and to help me talk through the highs and lows of Madeline's journey to the summit, I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Colton Burge. Hey, 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 Andrew K. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I made my appointment to get the vaccine on Wednesday. I'm going to get the jab. I'm ready. I'm ready to to enter the, you know, the ranks of, of post-COVID people. You know, I've had the FOMO of, you know, the fear of missing out on being vaccinated, but I'm about to fix it. So I'm excited for that. But we're not here to talk about that. We are here to talk about Celeste and to help us do that. We are joined by independent content creator and former IGN editor, Janet Garcia. Hey, what's good? Welcome, Janet. Yeah, thanks for having me. Oh, uh, it's good to, it, yeah, sure. It's good to have you here. Uh, like I said, I've been following your work for a while since before you were at IGN, so it is nice to, you know, meet. Because I don't think we've we've talked before that. I might have messaged you at some point about, you know, you know, IGN, but this is the first time that we have actually talked. So it's great to have you here. Can you like talk a little bit about what you're doing in this post-IGN phase where you're a content creator? Yeah, I'm doing a lot of stuff. Uh, in some ways, too much. In some ways, not enough. Uh, you know how it goes. But I stream on Twitch uh, four days a week. I do a lot of uh, indie stuff where I'm raising money for different Black Lives Matter organizations using that like massive bundle that came out like two years ago, the itch.io one that has like way too many games. I'm like, you know how everyone bought that because it was for a good cause and had awesome games, but no one wants to play all those games. Don't worry about it. I got you. I'm playing the games come through. Sometimes they're amazing. Sometimes they are not so amazing. That bundle also does include Celeste. So shout out to that. Um, yeah, I do uh, a lot of Animal Crossing New Horizons. Been playing that for like a year straight. I uh, try to keep up with the latest and greatest games on Fridays. And then in addition to that, like Twitch is sort of my main thing. I also have a podcast. It is called Game Monsters Weekly. It is a quick hit roundup. It's just me. It's usually under 30 minutes and I go through literally everything I possibly can that's happening right now. Uh, plus like game releases, whatever events recently happened, um, stuff you can get for free. So like highlighting Game Pass, but also just highlighting like hey, this game's randomly 0%, like 100% off on Steam, um, stuff like that. And other than that, I am doing some reviews. So I try to review as much as I can, given, you know, reaching out and getting uh, codes and such. I recently reviewed Maquette, uh, and I do those on my site, which is, uh, I believe it's game for the culture.wordpress.com. Holler at that .wordpress thing. <laughs> I haven't paid for the URL yet. Uh, and I also do it on my YouTube channel, which is uh, also Game Odysseys. So it's all pretty easy to find uh, since it's all tied to the same handle. But that's everything. It's streams, podcast, reviews. And uh, in between all that, I try to guest on cool stuff like this. Yeah, and you Dang. you also have a Patreon, right? Is that the same name? Is yeah. It? <laughs> Thank okay. you for mentioning that. Why yeah. did I forget to mention it? It's all supported through Patreon. So if you um, like my work and want to see it keep going, want to see it expand, want to have an active voice in that, um, as well as just get some cool perks, that's patreon.com backslash gameonesis. Have a bunch of different tiers ranging from the $1 all the way up to the $25. Uh, one of my personal favorite tiers and sort of fan favorite is my uh, $10 letter from a video game world tier. So you get a bunch of rewards um like from the other ones but then also once a month i send you a handwritten letter it is from a different video game world so i'd write it in the style of as if i'm in that world and slowly as the letter continues i make more and more overt references to the world so it might start off kind of vague and then by the end it's like okay there's like you know, one up mushrooms and it's very clearly, you know, whatever the game is. And then I usually put the title in there somewhere, too. So uh, people have enjoyed that in one. It's cute because it's male. And two, uh, people have a lot of fun trying to guess as they're reading what it is. And then there's that moment where it all clicks where it's like, oh, OK, well, clearly, you know, you know, if, if it was Celeste, for instance, it'd be like, you know, sitting by the fire, like on my journey, that kind of thing, you know, sort of putting in these little hints at uh, what universe it is. Yeah. Uh, those yeah. are all the things I do. Thank you I, for that. Sure. I love the the things that people do with their Patreons for the higher tiers. Like that is that's very cool. I've never heard of anything like that. And then like, you know, Minmax, which you have guested on their content, they have the, you know, the Minmax um backstage pass where you can watch as they're editing videos and, and stuff like that. So that kind of stuff where it's like people coming up with, you know, interesting, unusual, unique ways to like uh, you know, make it worthwhile for their fans to invest in them is a, a very cool side of independent media for sure. Uh, so yeah, it's been fun. 
So, Jenna, I wanted to ask you about your history with Celeste. When did you first play it, and what were your thoughts at the time, and what has it been like revisiting at this time? I first played it the year that it came out, which I believe was 2018? Yeah, Question yeah. Mark? Right. Okay, yeah, 2018. Um, I played it when it came out. Um, it, I thought it was wonderful. I think, I, you know, going back even further than that, when I first heard about Celeste was in one of the Nintendo Directs. It was like one of the Nindies, I think. And they only showed it for a few seconds. And I remember seeing it like, okay, cool. Like it has, you know, pixel art style, which like a lot of games have. Like it's just like, it's cool that she's a girl. It's cool that it's platforming. Like those are sort of the quick you know, thoughts I had just seeing it on in passing. And I didn't, you know, think it was anything necessarily special at all. It was just one of... It was one of the games that stood out, but it was just like one of the many games that was there where it's like, this looks cool. Maybe it comes out. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe I buy. Maybe I don't. So it was very much like a innocuous thing that just kind of appeared in my life. And then when it came out, I mean, it was so critically acclaimed. Um, pretty much everyone who liked platformers had to kind of run out and buy it. And I was no different in that. And playing it... Um, I just thought it was so special in a lot of ways. One, it's a fantastic platformer, which that genre, I feel like it's kind of having a bit of a resurgence, right? We had like Crash 4 and, you know, Mario still doing his thing and we've had other games, but the genre that doesn't get as much love. It's not as in vogue as it used to be. And I'm someone that loves platformers. I um, and I, I'm not shy of gruesome platformers either. It's probably the only like very skill-based genre that I enjoy because uh, typically, you know, I, I can I like and can play games like anyone else that makes content, but I'm not like going into the Souls likes or anything like that or, or even playing like intense, you know, tactical shooters or anything like that. So um, it's one of the only genres where I'm like, you can give me something really hard and I can still really love it and do it. Um, you know, Super Meat Boy comes to mind, of course. And what stood out here was that it's grueling for sure, but it's it's so approachable in how grueling it is, even if you're putting the accessibility stuff aside, um, just in the way it's designed, like the fact that you have the dash, the fact that you have like being able to climb. I'm like, that's so unique, but also so sensical for the kind of world they built because it's a game about climbing a mountain. Um, but so it makes sense that you could climb, but it's something that you don't really see included in a lot of like a lot of times a gruesome platformer doesn't necessarily have layered mechanics. And instead, the challenge comes from constantly shifting the level design but i feel like celeste is kind of the master at doing both all while also doing story all while also having really good music like all, all while also having like accessibility options so that you don't have to be really good at platformers to play it so it just it hits on so many levels um and i think you know just to kind of end my history of it i think when i realized it was special was uh, i think it's a chapter two or something very early on when you're going through like the kind of galaxy jelly yeah. You know, mm, y'all yeah. know what I'm talking about them squares, right? Yeah. Like I'm like, oh, this is this is something else. And even too oh, the sound of you walking on the glass too is so good. It's like that's when you have like that um you first see what the story is really about, right? Because before that it's like, I'm climbing a mountain, like this seems cool. And then it's like, oh, there's something else going on here that's otherworldly, that's enticing. It also has some of my favorite songs. So um that's sort of how it all clicked for me. And I played it. Uh, I finished it. Finishing it was very <laughs> brutal for me, but uh, I played the whole thing and loved it every step of the way. Uh, definitely a big fan. And I have the uh, the mug from fan uh, from fan gamer that you can do this mug with a little strawberry on it. So oh, hell yeah. that's my history. Hell yeah. Um, speaking of strawberries, this I realized as we were playing this level that this is the only uh, level in the game that does not have any strawberries. I think because it's like, I think you, Janet, were talking about like the way that this uh, game mixes a really great story with you know really great platforming mechanics. And to me, this is the the level where that story most takes center stage, which is still like a demanding chapter. But to me, the fact that they strip out the strawberries at all on this level is like communicating, okay, this is, you know, we don't want you exploring. We want you focused on what is happening here, which is, you know, the conflict between Madeline and uh, Madeline. So I want to ask, what did you think, uh, Janet, Colton, both of you, uh, upon returning to, to this uh, chapter? Um, did it strike any different notes with you than when you first played it, or what were your thoughts? So I had just, re well, actually all of us had done this. We talked about this right before we started recording, but that we all had played um, this chapter like right before the call. So it's it's very fresh in everyone's mind, I'm sure. Um, but before that, I, my replay of Celeste only like stretched up to the, the level with the uh, is it Mr. Oshiro? Am I saying yeah. his name correctly? I think yep. so, yeah. So um, I'd played that, and that's kind of my 
uh, most vivid memory of Celeste because like so it's like the classic thing where like I'm going to replay this game and you just keep replaying the same first few sections of it because right. you don't get through the whole replay. So um, jumping into this, which is much later in the game, my first thing I noticed was, hey, this feather mini game isn't as good as I remembered it being, uh, which I know yeah. y'all talked about that in depth last episode um, with Eric's appearance. But yeah, and also you're totally right. It is the Stardew Valley thing where it's the same mechanic, but I like fishing in Stardew Valley, so it, it kind of does work. Um, but that was the first thing that stuck out. I like it worked, but it kind of uh, didn't as much. And then um, this level is just so interesting because it feels like it's pulling on some stuff that it already introduced, like with the with the moving platforms and things. But it just feels like so different. It's kind of has that like pinball um, thing going on with like the uh, the little like circular like metal pieces that you can bounce off of. Right. Yeah. So it has a it has a different and then you have the the feather ability where you're kind of swirling through the sky. So it has a different sort of cadence and feel to it. Um to kind of round out like an initial like replays or whatever, like what I feel about that. It um it felt great. It felt smooth. It felt like I don't know, it's sort of like this it sounds kind of cheesy to say poetry in motion because that's like so antiquated and I really hate that I just said that. But it just <laughs> it it's so effortless when you're like in your stride and I, I really like those moments of it. Um, and then the other thing that stuck out was, you know, this is kind of jumping ahead, but like the, you have like a freaking boss battle in this, in this chapter. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, I kind of don't remember this. Damn, this battle's hard. But those are yeah. the, my, my gut, um, you know, reactions to kind of jumping back into it and, and starting to re-remember what I had experienced before. Yeah, and I love the way that Celeste handles boss battles because it's never like, oh, they have a health bar and you have to whittle it down to zero. It's always like building it around the mechanics that you are using the rest of the time. So it's like this is a game that doesn't have combat. So even when it's approximating like a battle, it's going to do it in a way where you were just dashing at the character in the way that you would normally dash. And you still have to be thinking about managing... Um, you know, your stamina and making sure that you're not going to fall onto spikes when you go for that hit on battle line. Like, you have to make sure that you're lining it up with, okay, there's a feather here that I can use to fly, or there's, like, one of the gems here that replenishes my dash so I can grab that. Like, it is building battles around, like, the mechanics that are there all the time, which I think makes it so there's this really great continuity between the experience of playing, like, the level and the experience of you know doing one of the boss battles whether it's this one where you're you know fighting against battle or the one where you are like you know dealing with mr oshiro or like one of the earlier levels where battle is chasing you through uh i think it's the second chapter mm-hmm. um it always is building those uh those boss battles into the level instead of having it be a separate thing which i really like especially you know i'm like you and the platformers are like the genre where i am like most comfortable like if i know that a new dark souls game is coming out or like you know a new FromSoft game i'm like i can play this i can play like the first you know 10 15 hours but i know i'm gonna hit a wall where it is like this is more difficult than it is worthwhile for me to keep playing it but with platformers they're the one genre where i know if i start it i can almost definitely finish up and i think like i especially feel that way in celeste because like you are doing like the the platforming the way through there are no difficulty spikes that are tied to doing something like else besides that and the places where it does experiment with other things are like entirely skippable and they're not difficult like i've been thinking about as we played through this chapter because it has the moment at the beginning where madeline and theo are talking and it introduces these branching conversation mechanics where like you get to choose which topics you talk about and you can like skip through it entirely. You can just say, I'm ready to go to sleep and then skip up. But it's got that branching uh, conversation mechanic. The last chapter had the, the feather. There's the moment in chapter five where you like temp- temporarily control a monster and make it go after Madeline. And then there's like the Pico eight that you can find in chapter three. So there are like mini games scattered throughout this game or other mechanics that it weaves in. And none of that ever distracts from how tight and like almost perfect that core platforming is. Is they're able to like you know be experimental on the edges of what the game is, which I really appreciate. Um, but Colton, I wanted to ask you, what were your thoughts overall about Chapter Six upon revisiting it today? Uh, I really loved this chapter. I know we said during the Chapter Four podcast that. Uh, the Golden Ridge is what 
like we tend to think of when we think of what Celeste looks like. Yeah. But for me, it's actually this chapter that I tend to think of. But I, I had somehow forgotten that this conversation with Theo at the beginning even happened. Mm. But coming upon it, especially like coming right out of uh, the end of chapter five, which I think is one of the most stressful segments in this game, it's so, so nice to just have this chat uh, by the bonfire and just really have this time to decompress. Yeah, it's interesting that it's by a bonfire because it is like serving the same function as like a Dark Souls bonfire where it is like, you know, you just got through something very stressful and now you have this moment where you can pause and like, you know, take stock of the journey so far and like, um, you know, just have a peaceful moment where you can reflect. Uh, mm-hmm, for yeah, sure. Yeah, I think that's smart. So yeah, this starts right after chapter five, which is the the chapter where you're in the mirror temple where Madeline and Theo are both realizing how the mountain and specifically the temple are like reacting to their own inner demons. And then they, they come here and they have this very like reflective conversation and she explains what's happening with Madeline and how she didn't tell him about it before because she was afraid that he wouldn't believe her because of how, you know, wild it sounds. What did you what did you two think of this conversation and like the the way that we get like a another glimpse of like Theo's character? We learn a little bit about Madeline, but we know her better because we're, you know, playing as her, but we get a better understanding of Theo and what his motivations are and his family. What did y'all think of this? Uh this one definitely hit close to home. I think it had a lot of those moments where it's like, damn, this is me. Yeah. That's not good. Like, you, know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, as someone that, you know, which I think I think a lot of players who love, I mean, you can love Celeste without like really being super, super into the like mental health messaging of it because it's just also such a good game. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm definitely someone who is an advocate for um, mental health and having those conversations and has sh- struggled myself with anxiety and depression and all these things. So it's like, and not only that, but this game is so, hits such a chord with me because I am, that person that does really have it together and is still working. And it's like, I'm still, I could easily, if I don't ever vocalize these things in public, no one would ever know because like, I seem like pretty put together and I get a lot of things done. And even her whole purpose of doing this, where it's like, I just wanted to do this to feel something, you know, it's like, Ooh, been there. Like, you know, like it's like her, what drives her, we get this, we, it's so direct. I think is what I like about this conversation. Um, y'all had discussed before how it's like this is very much a, a metaphor of a game mm-hmm. and how y- there, there definitely is value in showing and not telling but the way this is told is really well written so i think it ends up working for it it is the most like probably straightforward part of the game where it's it is just madeline saying like i had to get out of my head and like i just came here and i just i feel the need to accomplish something like i screenshot so like on the replay i screenshot so many sections of this conversation because they were just so good like she says i need somebody to challenge me like i've i'm just gonna go through this like i you know at one point in the chapter she's like i guess i'll just be miserable and sad forever and it's sort of that whole like oh i'm joking but i'm not joking because like i'm messed up you know it's like there's so many so many moments like that um i love that theo talks about his sister and sort of uses that as like a buffer to be able to have a more intimate conversation with Madeline because obviously they're strangers and she mentions that like why do you trust me you don't even know me so I I like the bringing in of the sister because it it gives Theo a an access point to have a very personal discussion while trying to make it oh no I'm not like digging into your mental health I'm just talking about my sister and how like she also is depressed and how like hey maybe we could talk about that for a little bit but also we don't have to talk about it which I I like that they have that in there too because it is kind of awkward for Theo to be like hey what's depression like it's like "Mm, that's an inappropriate (laughs) question to ask someone you don't know but then he kind of immediately is like or we can talk about literally anything else um you know, we already know that, you know, Theo is is good guy Theo, but actual good guy Theo, not like, you know, and how that could go other ways. Like he's uh-huh. a, a pretty good and caring person. And he like con- one one thing that he keeps saying in this chapter is like, can I help? And he kind of just waits for like, I love that he structures it that way, where it's very much like I'm here for you in the way that you need me to be. And he does give the ex- suggestion later of like holding the backpack. But like, it's very much like. I'm going to do what you say that you need. And this is me like reaching out about your needs and what's going on with you. And, and also, 
you know, being willing to share a little bit of yourself in order to build that intimacy. So I really like this conversation as just a straightforward, hard-hitting sequence of lines. Uh, And I do love the dialogue of what you mentioned, being able to choose for both, because so often it's like a very one-sided thing. But I think the ability for you as a player to get to dig into both of these dialogue trees, one makes it more engaging from a gameplay standpoint, but two, like, allows you to reveal so much more and it kind of lets you connect to both of the characters at once, despite the fact that you only have one technical protagonist or two if you count Battleline as a, you know, piece of, you know, you you could make that argument for sure, but yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah, I also, I, yeah, I, I like that a lot. I like, there are other games that have sort of played around with, like, you know, giving you agency over what both, characters are saying like i think kentucky rev zero also does that too but i think it really works here because like we've spent you know five chapters up until this point with these characters and have gotten only you know small glimpses into what is motivating them to be here only what they have been able to or been willing to reveal to each other and they didn't really know each other until like you know the past few chapters they have gotten to know each other better um, but this is the chapter where they're willing to, you know, explain why they're doing it. And they have built enough trust that they can be honest with each other about why they're on the mountain to begin with, which I think is, it's a cool place in the game for it to come because it, um, it hits right before, you know, the most climactic moment, I would say, uh, in the game. I mean, I guess, you know, her reaching the peak eventually is a very climactic moment, but this is like the peak of conflict in the game that we're about to hit Mm -hmm. in this chapter. There is that moment, which I think is, is like a great optional moment in chapter five, where um, if you're talking to Theo, he slips up and calls you Alex, uh, which like we said, is his sister's name. So that is like, you know, seeding the ground for, uh, you know, this thing. It's foreshadowing that there is somebody important in his life named Alex and then keeps us guessing until now. And I think to me, like, seeing that, I remember that it was his sister, but I'm thinking, like, on a first playthrough, if you get that moment where he accidentally calls you Alex, then you have this question that is sticking with you and, like, motivating you to see through the story to figure out this thing about Theo. And I think this moment works really well as payoff for that, where you understand more about who he is, what his motivation is, and the same for uh, Madeline. Did either of y'all find uh, the bit where Madeline is talking about needing to get out of the rut that she's in, especially like resonant this year? You know, when we've been <laughs> stuck stuck inside for the past year, I was thinking like. I completely relate to wanting to go do something. And then it is also, you know, the kind of moment in time where it's like almost impossible to do that. Cause it isn't like a rut of our own making. It's like a rut that the world is stuck in, you know, dealing with this pandemic. Did any of y'all uh, feel like any of this was like, especially resonant given like the moment that we're in? Yeah, for sure. Um, I also really love the moment where Theo asks, uh, how do you cope with anything? Yeah. And Madeline just responds with, I drink mostly. <laughs> which is, yeah, yeah, and yell if you get mad so... at people on the internet. I screenshot that also. I'm like, new Twitter <laughs> yeah. header, let's go. Yeah, yeah I, I like that glimpse into, you know, what Madeline is like outside of the mountain because this is like such a very specific thing for her. You know, it's like this is, she is talking about climbing the mountain as this thing that is completely outside the normal realm of what she would do. And so it's interesting to see, like, oh, well, when she's home, she is drinking a lot and, you know, like, getting on Twitter and getting brain poisoned. Like, it's fun to get that view of Madeline and what she's like, you know, under normal circumstances. Mm-hmm. I feel like Madeline definitely has, like, a Tumblr or, like, in the modern era, maybe, mm-hmm. like, a TikTok, right? Like, yeah. you know, like, I can just see that happening. Um, I love that, too. Um, you know, this is a really nice moment in there budding friendship where she's like hey let's take a selfie together because you know you like leading up to this point she's been very reluctant to do that kind of thing and she's not really like a selfie person but i like that because i feel like anyone that's been in some level of a relationship doesn't have to be you know romantic could be friendship partner whatever like 
we're not all the same people and you kind of build a sense for what the other person likes or what they would find comforting or affirming. Um, so I like that moment as like, I don't think she actually really, I mean, she says like, I want to remember this night, but like, mm, I don't think she really like, I don't think she necessarily cares about taking the selfie. I think she just wants to express that she does appreciate what happened tonight. And like the selfie is more about the act of doing it and showing him that she cares about it in that way because that's that's what he would normally suggest and he's normally the person asking so by her asking it's sort of like flipping the script there and showing like yeah i'm down for this this thing that like you seem to have value attached to right yeah she has been like reluctant like like you mentioned earlier in the game like theo asked to take a selfie and she's like uh and then eventually you know she agrees to it but it is such a like character development moment for her to be the one that is initiating the selfie and seems to indicate that she is feeling, you know, more confident in herself and more like secure in this friendship with Theo that she's willing to, to, um, you know, make that leap. Um, there's also the moment during this part where Theo talks about how his grandpa told him about Celeste Mountain and how he came here. And, um, Neither of them know if his grandpa, like Theo doesn't know if his grandpa experienced like any of the kind of things that they are um, experiencing here. And Theo says, you know, basically that uh, he doubts that his grandpa was as messed up as they are, basically. And I think that's I I think it's interesting is like uh, we always assume, I think, that like you were talking about, Janet, like if people don't know what's going on with you, they would assume that everything's fine, even if you're like anxious or depressed. I think we assume that like, you know, the people in our lives, like our grandparents or our parents who have always been there, like, oh, they never dealt with any of the, the things that I'm dealing with. Like they always, you know, had things together. They were always old, you know, they were never young and turb going through like a turbulent period of their life. And I think that is like, it may be an interesting blind spot, blind spot for Theo that he like is seeing, you know, he sees him as his grandpa. He doesn't see him as somebody who would have ever had to deal with, you know, his own inner demons, which I think is interesting. What were you going to say, Janet? Yeah. I just was going to say that it's, that's also Stardew Valley, which I also barely started playing Stardew Valley for the first time, like this year. But, um, that's the same thing where it's like, he, is sort of following this path that the person that came before followed. And they, they both probably in both of those stories, there was probably there was a level, I think, of turmoil that drove them to do this. I think, too, like something about um, I don't know if you all have experience with doing, uh, you know, what your sports or physical background is in terms of activities. But like people that climb mountains like something's going on, not necessarily that you need to have like depression <laughs> or something or anxiety, but there's it. It's like you're a certain kind of person to do a massive physical undertaking that has no monetary benefit or any benefit, really. Um, and everyone has like a different why. And I think that's another cool thing that this is sort of exploring. Um, I was thinking a lot about this when I uh, I do distance running for uh, those who may not know. And that's a pretty strenuous sport that like if you are in it and you do it, you get it and you totally understand it. And if you don't, you're like, oh, you can just drive the eight miles. And it's like, OK, well, obviously, this is obviously isn't about traversal. You know, it's about going out there and like pushing yourself and and having all these different reasons uh and i've listened to like running podcasts too where they like push it like if you're doing a marathon they're like what's your why you need a why for when it gets like difficult you'll have a reason to do it um and i think in a way like this game is her also figuring out why she's like kind of honing more in on why she's doing the climb right mm -hmm. and and what it takes to do it you know what there's that line of the from last episode the mountain only brings out stuff that's already there it's like you need to have this Inner, you need something else to be able to even do this. Um, and there's also always alternative reasons that are driving you towards it. So like I, I actually went on a long run today and I was thinking a lot about this game and how that also is a, a relatable factor to me that pushing yourself to do it just to kind of say that you did for no one other than really yourself. Like, sure, you can post it and tell other people and people are always impressed, but it's not really about that. It's about like the feeling that you get in the and like putting yourself through turmoil for the sake of coming out on the other side um so yeah good game yeah yeah i think that like figuring out what your why is i'm sure is like useful for motivating yourself to finish you know the run or climbing a mountain but it also is like you know reveal something about your psyche that maybe you don't realize until you think about it which seems like what is happening for 
Madeline and Theo during this conversation as they're like talking about what their whys are, like why they decided to climb the mountain. And that's revealing, you know, interesting things about who they are as characters and what is going on, you know, inside of them. Um, so like right after this bit, uh, Madeline and Theo fall asleep by the fire. And when she wakes up, there's this green, like Aurora Borealis in the sky and there's a feather that looks a lot like the one from the breathing exercise that now, if she dashes into it, it allows her to fly for a short period of time. And uh, she takes that feather and flies up into the sky where she runs into, you know, Badeline. And they have a conversation about, you know, Madeline is saying that she doesn't need her anymore. And uh, that, like, she is realizing now that she's toxic, basically, and has to, she has to cut her out of her life. Uh, and that, like, makes, you know, Madeline angry, and she says that Madeline's stupid for thinking that and, like, grabs her in her tentacle with her tentacle grip and, like, cuts the feather in half when Madeline tries to do her breathing exercise. But after this, like, during the sequence, you fall all the way down to the bottom of the mountain, and I think it's super effective that when Madeline is falling, they show it on the map. So you can see, like you end up lower than where you started at the beginning of the climb. It like them, the fact that they zoom out from like the actual level to show you on the map where you are is such an effective way to like make you feel it as the player, make you feel the sense of loss because you have been climbing higher and higher as you go. And now it's like, because of like this character's struggles that they're dealing with your, your progress as the player is being taken away from you. And I remember feeling that, you know, pretty intensely when I, you know, played it at the beginning, there's that feeling of like, oh, well, you know, all my progress is wiped out now. Um, how did y'all feel about that when, you know, you have this moment uh, with Badeline and then fall all the way down to the to the bottom of the mountain? What was the impact of that for you? I was like, damn, how long is this game going to be? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> I'm like, because we, it, what's funny about this, too, is this is a very um, often used conceit in games where it's like, oh, and now you fall, you're at the bottom again, but you have like a new tool set and maybe you experience it differently or maybe it doesn't take nearly as long. Um, but normally when you have instances like this in a game, you do have to like to a degree do everything again so i that was that was my immediate reaction of like okay well i wonder how long is it really going to take for me to get back to where i was and what is that journey going to look like um but definitely a little bit of um there was there was a saltiness there because i (laughs) you know absolutely love games i've made my whole life about games However, um, I like when games are done and I can feel and that's kind of part of, um, you know, I think part of it, too, where it's like climbing the mountain as Madeline. You're also like doing the the challenge of beating the game as the player. So like, sure, it's not like physically. Well, it's actually a little physically strenuous. Like, have you played this with Joy-Con? It's not easy. (laughs) Um, There's a, a little bit of that there, but it's that sense of accomplishment. And like, I don't I don't know if there's a player that exists that doesn't feel at least some accomplishment of having rolled credits on something. So uh, it definitely struck a chord with me in that sense. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Colin? I don't really have much to add to that. I think both of you summed it up uh, pretty well. I noticed that when she's falling down, she goes right through spikes. Yeah, that's interesting. I was thinking <laughs> about that too. Like, like those are supposed to kill you. I, I have seen what spikes do to you normally. This is not normal. Um, I was thinking about how... Uh, You know, Janet, you were talking about how it feels like, you know, what you want to do is finish the game. And this feels like it's a major setback to that. And for me personally, like as somebody who reviews games and like is often doing it on a deadline, there's nothing that I hate more than like thinking that I have like an hour or two left of a game. And then it's like, oh, no, it's going to make me do some other bullshit for five hours before I can wrap this up. And so, like, this kind of pump fake is a great way to make me feel anxious for a second before, like, oh, no, the next level is the last level. Yeah, it's just classic story structure. Right. Really. It's the twist into the third act. Right, because, like, before this, like we were talking about, you have this moment of, um, you know, catharsis almost, or, like, you know, the moment where, where Madeline and Theo are getting to, you know, getting real with each other for the first time, and it sort of is like this 
this moment where Madeline feels like she has things figured out. You know, she's telling Madeline, like, I get it now. I need to cut you out, basically. And then it's like, from that moment that seems like, you know, victory. And, like, Theo tells her, you're like a day's hike away from the peak. Like, you're almost there. And then you, like, from that moment of triumph, you're down into, like, you know, defeat. Or how it, that's how it feels for a lot of this chapter. Um, so when you're at the bottom... Um, you run into the old lady at the bottom who says that Madeline is unique because she's never seen, she's never met someone so angry at themselves as Madeline is, <laughs> which I think is like an interesting characterization of Madeline. And also like maybe a, you like the way that the old lady sees her is sort of unique to the old lady. Cause Madeline is always pissed when she runs into her. So I think maybe <laughs> that's why she thinks that she's uh Never met somebody so angry at themselves. Or maybe the old lady just brings out what is really there in, in Madeline. The um, old lady's the mountain. Ah, somehow. yes. <laughs> I think, I'm just messing around. Yeah, but I think she definitely is. Uh, she definitely has some sort of powers that she's always able to uh, to be wherever, like ahead of you. You know, she's she's like, I think on, like the episode with Eric, I mean, I said that she is like the Resident Evil 4 vendor who is always somehow ahead of you, even though you're like going through you know, zombies and dogs and, you know, people with guns. This dude with a cloak is somehow just always ahead of you. That's how the, the old hermit feels to me. So when you run into the old lady, that's like an important moment in Madeline understanding her relationship to Madeline because uh, the old lady encourages her to talk to Madeline and try to understand her. And um, it tells her that she is probably afraid of something that is making her act the way that she is. So like that, that conversation is not super long, but it's like probably the most pivotal moment for Madeline's understanding of herself throughout this journey to the, to the peak. So I think it's super, like a super important moment in the game. Um, this bit at the bottom also introduces uh the the you know blocks that you burst into and then they you know slam in that direction in the direction you came from which i think are you know one of the fun interactions to do there's a lot of different you know blocks in this game a lot of moving blocks and like you know this block that you hit and like the jello blocks that you boost through and um what did y'all think of this like mechanically and what this adds to the you know the roster of mechanics that we've had throughout the game so far. I think Celeste Blocks ranked would be a really good article if someone wants to. Yeah, that. that would be good. Um, I think I oh gosh, I'm not sure where this lands compared to the other ones. Um, I like it fine. I like that you have to sort of quickly reconfigure yourself for a given circumstance because like the mm. blocks rely on you know a mechanical conceit that was very early introduced in the game, which is that if you're on something and it's moving and you time your jump right, you can like propel yourself really far. And these function on that really heavily, but they also rely on you being able to go from having made contact with the direction that you want to have the block move towards and also to like either grip onto the other side or jump onto the top one. Uh, there's a portion that I had like some trouble with today of uh, you have to hit the right side, but then like be on top of it and like, duck underneath and then do it like a second time and the, it right. was like a whole thing yeah. um, and I was like oh man maybe I'll just watch this on YouTube <laughs> but then I finished it I was like okay sweet you know and then you have that and that's what I like about Celeste too right you have um, because it handles difficulty on a screen by screen basis you it doesn't take long for you to accomplish something when you do accomplish it and then you you get like that last bit that extra bit of juice to to want to keep going um so yeah, I like that quite a bit. Um, and I like how this whole area like kind of takes everything we've known and turns it on its head a little bit in the sense that you are going like down for part of the like mm -hmm. game, like level. And you're instead of instead of like uh having a boss battle be something that you escape or evade, you're like going and attacking like over and over again. You're sort of just doing everything the opposite yeah. of like what you'd been doing before, which I think kind of speaks to you know, her need to need to get out of her own way and do things differently. Um, I also love that the fall does happen because it sort of is like makes it messy. Right. Because otherwise it's a little too tidy of a story. It's a little too Disney. Right. Where it's right. like, oh, and then I realize like it's you know, you can just stop being depressed. And now I like talk about my feelings <laughs> and I don't have depression anymore. And it's like now nah, now you're just a depressed person who talks to people, which is important. Right. You know, like having um 
healthy coping mechanisms and, and things are so crucial, but you never really get rid of your stuff. You just learn to deal with it. So I love that she sort of has to like get pushed down on her own butt again and then climb back up by going back down. It's like a whole a, a whole like lovely mechanical metaphor that they have in place there with it. Yeah, it's very like true to life, at least is the way that I see it, which is like, I know that like when I was in college and like dealing with depression, I was always like thinking that I had come to some breakthrough that was completely, yep. <laughs> completely wrong, you know, which is what Madeline does here is like, oh, I just have to cut this, you know, bad part of myself out completely. Like that was I was always coming to conclusions like that. And like telling my friends, okay, I think I've cracked it. I think I, you know, I think yeah, I'm better. I'm, jour- I'm journaling now. It's different, y'all. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And for me, it was like, oh, it wasn't. It didn't. Wasn't until I was like, actually went to like therapy and then got you know medication that I was like, okay, I'm doing better now. But it was like the step of like falling on your ass and realizing, no, you can't actually do it just on your own. You need to like get help, you know. And that seems like what is happening with Madeline here is that there is. Like she falls down and she has to figure out how to work with herself instead of working against herself, which is like a super important lesson, you know, when you're learning how to, you know, deal with your mental health. I find it interesting, too, that the old lady basically, like, negs her into success, which is sort of like, "Mm, that's got layers, right? But without getting too much into those layers of that, um, you know, choice, Uh, because she does have like the supportive, you know, comment, too, of you should talk to her and like see what's up but that's kind of like a quick flip from her being like i'm gonna discourage you by literally laughing at you uh Mm. you're a clown i told you you couldn't do it and this this is me getting front row tickets to your own personal failure Uh haha like literally and then like oh but like i thought you would do it because like you're you're you know you're special like i thought you'd be able to do it and then it's like okay now i'll give you some actual practical advice so um obviously in in the real world that sort of is a a tricky (laughs) thing to to have introduced but Right. I think it also just sort of speaks to like the different people that you can have in your life that help you. Like if you want nice, comforting feelings, that's Theo. But if you want like someone to like kind of talks back to you in a way that actually might end up helping you, even if it's a little toxic, that's the old lady. So I feel like uh, that's sort of what she serves in a way, because like, you know, in general, uh, Madeline has all these different players in her life that have these different functionalities and all of them sort of end up making up what her experience is uh, for better or worse. And that's why, you know, towards towards the end, you get like little pictures of everybody because they all sort of had this different um, role in uh, how she dealt with things. Yeah. Yeah. I think she seems like the one who is like telling the hard truth to Madeline, which is like, she's got Theo and he is going to listen to her, but he's probably not going to push back too much on like conclusions she comes to. And the old lady is the one that is there to like say, no, I think you're wrong. And this is the thing that you need to do. And I don't know, maybe I think like, you know, you need both. You need somebody who can just listen and you need people that can tell you if they think you're, you know, making a mistake. So like the old lady is that she's like sort of like a Yoda you know, character where like Yoda is like wailing on Luke with his stick. You know, the old lady is like wailing on Madeline with her her words. So, you know, a, a useful character I think on Madeline's journey. And like eventually they, you know, are our pals, like you said. Um, so yeah, this leads right into the moment where you're chasing after uh, Madeline, uh, and eventually you catch up with her, um, and she, you know, is basically like you win, like. I get it. Like you send me away and Madeline, you know, has realized at this point, no, we need to work together. Um, Which leads to like one of the biggest mechanical changes in this game, which is when you merge together, um, you know, your hair turns pink. It seems like it's, you know, supposed to be like a shade that is like halfway between Madeline's purple hair and Madeline's red hair. uh, And you get this extra jump. Um, And so I think it works that like the biggest mechanical change of the game Getting this extra jump is tied to the biggest, you know, development for Madeline, which is realizing that this part of her is not something she needs to fight against. What did y'all think of this, of the of that climactic moment where she, you know, m- merges with uh, Madeline? Uh, I mean, going back a little bit, I appreciate how this boss fight is an inversion of the one from Chapter 2, yeah. where you're running away from Madeline, and this one you are actively trying to dash into her which 
reflects what um, the old lady says uh, in this chapter, that the first step to healing is confronting the problem, mm. right? Yeah. So this is like a mechanical reflection of that. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I really appreciated this boss fight for that. Yeah. Yeah, that's smart. I hadn't thought of that, but that is, yeah, it seems like exactly what they're going for, that you are, you know, you ran from her at first and now you're running towards her. I think that's super smart. Uh, what about you, Jenna? Um, as far as the merging of their abilities, uh, I love that moment. Not only is it like, uh, it's very like cute in a cartoon slash anime sense too. They have the little spins going with their little, uh, the little tiny pixelated bodies just swirling in the sky. It's very like joyous. And yeah. also, um, I loved it as like, again, having me as a player feel what you presume Madeline is feeling to a degree where it's like, I don't know about y'all, but when I got that double jump, I was like, oh, we're about to have fun with this. Even mm -hmm. though I knew in my head mm -hmm. that like, okay, obviously they're going to adjust the level design so that you need to have the double jump. It's not like I'm going to just be, you know, super OP. But for a few seconds, it does feel like you are. You know, it feels yeah. like you have the ability to reach these heights that you couldn't before. Um, I think most people playing, you know, certainly myself, has have had moments where you're trying to get to a certain area or explore something and, you know, you don't, you don't have quite like the height that you need or you get tired climbing up the thing or you just can't, can't finesse your way through it. And getting an extra jump, it's like, oh, okay, now we have like so many more resources for exploration and for traversal and for combat and for also like shifting things up. Because uh, one thing I forgot to mention with what makes this game so brilliant is that Unlike other difficult platformers, there is not like a one way to do it. Like there are common ways to do it for sure. Um, I'm actually watching a like I have a no commentary video pulled up just to kind of like be able to look at the the level as we're talking about it. Yeah. And um, sure, a lot of the movements are going to be the same. Like if you were to write like a guide or watch a video to try to figure something out, you know, there's a few different like tricks that work for different sections and most people will do it the same way. However, you technically can solve it in multiple ways um, with the tools that you're given. It's not like a whole lot of ways, but there's a couple ways to do different things, especially the stuff that is more fluid, like the boss battle sequences uh, of chasing or fleeing or whatever. So getting this extra piece, it's like you have a whole extra tool to play with or way to recover or way to experiment with things. So it does feel very freeing and euphoric uh, and I also just love, I think it's so smart that they bring in the hair thing. Um, it it fits so well with everything else they do. And overall, I think that's what's so strong about the game. Like, everything is there in such a purposeful and successful way. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great, the, the hair to begin with is such a great visual representation of how many dashes you have left. I was just, I'm reviewing right now uh, the Doom Eternals new DLC and I was like looking back at some of my old reviews of like the old, you know, the most recent like DLC and the actual base game. And one of my critiques of the game before was that like with the platforming, like there's a very tiny indicator at the bottom of the screen, which lets you know how many dashes you have left. But it's very easy to miss that. And like Celeste is like it's right there. Like you can see on the character how many dashes you have left, which I think is just one of the smartest like visually cleanest thing that this uh, game does. So you get up, you get back up to the top, which I think like when you introduce a new mechanic like this, like giving her the extra jump, it's helpful to like, w to make it feel like it's powerful, you, you know, put them in a, put the player in a situation where they can use it and like feel super overpowered. And I think you get that here because it's so easy to come back up through the area that you've fallen down because you have this extra jump. And when you get to the top, you know, you and Badalyn meet up with the old lady and uh, Theo. And that's where the chapter ends. Theo says, is that part, the part of you you were talking about? She's like an adorable goth Madeline. <laughs> Which is like, yeah, she, she's adorable now, but you should have seen her, you know, throughout the rest of the game. Um, but yeah, I like that as like a place for this to end, you know, so that as Madeline, you know, sets off on the last leg of her journey, which definitely is the hardest part of this game, aside from, like, the B-sides. She has the full support of Theo, she has the su full support of the old lady, and she is, like, at one with herself and has the support of Badline as she is, you know, going on this last bit of the journey. Um, all right, that was all the notes that I have. Did you guys have any thoughts about um, about the, the game as a whole or this chapter that we didn't get to? 
Um, one thing I want to say on this chapter that I think is really cool, because they do have these different mechanical set pieces that they put into every chapter that kind of make it um, distinctive from like a play perspective in addition to like whatever they're doing with the level design or the world. Um, but this one having the uh, little pinball element, I think that's really mm -hmm. cool. And also almost like a shmup feel yeah. in both the traversal and also the most notably the boss battle where you're literally you have battle line firing like lasers and orbs at you while you're like ducking these. And then you have a section where you grab the golden feather and you're like weaving between like the purple spikes and then coming in and doing a hit and then and falling and then there's like more lasers and it's it's very unlike it's it's weird because it kind of pulls from stuff that isn't from the platform genre but then gives it like a platform feel to it um and i really like that element of this chapter specifically but i'm sure there's other examples of that kind of thing being done in other chapters too where they're sort of borrowing from other genres or other things and and playing with stuff and mixing and matching it so i really liked uh that part of this one yeah yeah, I think the feather, part of the reason that you feel like you're moving really quick when you have the feather is because you're constantly surrounded by spikes. Like you have to make super sharp turns when you are using that and like be extremely careful, which I think we might have talked about this on a previous episode, but that principle is sort of like borrowed from racing games because they are, they are able to make you feel like you're moving quickly because you have th like walls that are super close to you on either side. Like it feels like you're going quickly, you're going fast because you could easily, you know, veer off course and wreck. And I think the the feather sort of feels similarly. And I think that's another way that it kind of borrows, you know, design ideas from other genres. Um, Colton, what do you what do you think? You've been here for this whole journey so far. What do you think of uh, of where we're at for Madeline right now? And what are you feeling about the game? Uh, I've left my baggage with Theo, and I am ready to ascend. Yeah. Well. On that note, the next uh, episode that we record is going to be with uh, Jack Gardner, um, and we're going to be talking about the last chapter of the main game, Chapter 7, which is the, you know, Madeline's final uh, jaunt, her final trek to reach the summit. So that's, that's super exciting. Um, but before we sign off, uh, Janet, can you plug your social media? Where can people find you on the Internet? Yeah, I'm on uh, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, uh, YouTube, Twitch, Patreon, everything at, under the handle Game Onesis. That's Game O-N-Y-S-U-S. Yes, I I, uh, I admire your hustle, Janet. It's cool to see you everywhere uh, and and doing all that stuff. And we really appreciate you, you know, coming on the show. Uh, Colton, do you want to plug your social before we, we close this thing out? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at LazyAceDia, and you can find my editing work on YouTube at React to the K. Awesome. And I am on Twitter at FunnelChess94. Follow me there to see my review, my GameSpot review of Doom Eternal, The Ancient Gods Part 2. And also this week I will have, by the time you hear this, my review of It Takes Two should also be up. So look out for those. Hey. Yeah. Um, and that is it. Again, thank you, Janet, for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. And we will be back next uh, next week with the final episode on the main game. Uh, but before that, you know, in, in the meantime, I would encourage everybody listening to party on. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.